if you haven't noticed. But we're in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, very well-known passage. It's one of the accounts of Jesus' birth. Luke chapter 1. <clears throat> and we're going to take note of a few things that I believe God wants us to notice, to learn, to apply to our lives, and just keep in mind as we walk this walk with our Lord. Chapter, verse 26 in chapter 1 of Luke's Gospel. And just follow along with me. Whatever translation you have is fine. I will point out one thing with translation in just a minute. But let's read to verse 38. So if you have your Bibles, let's read God's Word together. Luke 1, 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. To a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. Now, I said this in first service. Just pause there for a second. Can you, all right, can you imagine? You're sitting there in your living room, and then an angel appears to you and says, Hey, Bob, how you doing? The Lord is with you. You're favored. How's it going today? I don't know how it would react. The Bible doesn't tell us. It doesn't document the feelings, the emotion, whatever. But I can't even imagine that scene of sitting there in your home and, the, and an angel, Gabriel, appears to you and speaks to you and tells you that you're favored and that God is with you. I, I can't relate. Don't, I, I really, powerful thing. Verse 29. But she was very perplexed at this statement, as would I be, and you. And, and she kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and you will bear a son. And you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Just like that. All that and then gone. I I don't know how it would react. But nothing is impossible for God. You know, have you ever heard this idea and this expression? That's not possible. There is no way that can happen. That's impossible. Have you ever used that, that phrase? Have you ever heard people say that about something that's been proposed or put out there? Did you ever hear those words? I have many times in my lifetime. You, you've used them and we've heard them. In 1976, there was a three-year-old boy. And he ended up in the hospital. And he had been in the hospital for over two weeks already. He had internal bleeding. Some kind of infection was going on. Couldn't figure out what was happening. Transfusions happening left and right. And just over two weeks, his parents, who were Christians... They had no idea what to do or what would happen. It seemed absolutely impossible. But then they started to pray and continued to pray, actually, to the God of the impossible. 43 years ago, that three-year-old boy was me. And I have two memories 
from that whole experience, one I won't share because it's trivial and it's cute and kidsy and whatever, but it's okay. This was one, and I will never forget this till the day. I can see it right now. I really, literally, I can actually feel what I felt physically in my body because of, I'll explain in a second. And just over two weeks, and my mom, my dad, my aunt Pauline, my uncle Peter, and Pastor Pankowski came in to see me. I was three years old. And I'm laying there all hooked up. And I remember looking through the bars of the cage, as I think it is to me. You know, laying in that cage, that bed with those, the sides. They were metal. And I'm all hooked up. And I remember looking at them. And all I remember is all of them getting tearful. And then sticking their hands in between those bars. And putting their, well, I remember at the time, their cold hands on my warm body. And Pastor Pankowski touched my leg. I remember down by my shin. My mom and dad by my head and shoulder. My Aunt Pauline and Uncle Peter on my, on my side. And they started to pray. And they started to call out to God. What is going on? And to this day, and I'm bringing that up because when I was in Ohio a month ago, moving my mom into her new apartment, she brought that up and we were talking about that. How they had no idea. It was impossible. Nothing was changing and it was getting worse and worse. I'm losing weight and transfusions and everything going on. And it was an impossible situation, seemingly. Two days later, I was home. Do you know, my mom recalled and she reminded me when I was there a month ago. She said, to this day, they don't know what was wrong with you or why it stopped. They still don't know what exact infection or why the internal bleeding, what was going on to this day. But two days later after that, and I remember that I was being prayed for. I was home. I know the God of the impossible. Now, let me tell you something. I can tell you other stories, as many brothers and sisters here can tell you as well. I know the God of the impossible. My question is, do you? Really, do you know the God of the impossible? And do you live like you know the God of the impossible? That's what counts as well. Not just that you know him, but that you live that way as well. That's part of my story. And I know the God of the impossible. You know, the world, and sometimes we hear it said this way. We hear it's impossible to create something from nothing. And yet that's how God produced, how he created the entire universe. And Genesis tells us that, as well as scripture affirming that throughout scripture. It's impossible. There is no way it can happen that a woman in her old age, maybe 80 or 90 years old, to give birth, and that's exactly how God blessed Abraham and Sarai. It's impossible, though. It's impossible for animals to speak, unless you're watching Shrek. Um, (laughs) Animals can't speak. But yet Balaam had a donkey that did just that in Numbers chapter 22. Animals speak when God tells them to. It's impossible. It was impossible that there was a way that the Israelites would walk across the Red Sea or the Jordan River on dry ground. And yet the evidence tells a different story. And the Bible declares they absolutely did. Not to mention that it's impossible that an axe head can float on the water. Or that children can be raised from the dead when God chooses to do so through prophets in the Old Testament. 
Or feeding a crowd with only a little grain that you'll find that story in 2 Kings chapter 4. Or healing the blind in chapter 6 of 2 Kings. Or curing the sick in chapter 5 of 2 Kings and Isaiah chapter 38. And there are many other accounts. And that's only a small sampling of the impossibilities that are listed in the Old Testament. He's the God of the impossible. It doesn't look like it'll ever happen. But then God says something and does something. And so as we recount Christmas at this time of year right now, it teaches us, and Christmas should remind us, and especially our text reminds us, that with God, nothing is impossible, not one thing. In our scripture text from Luke 1, we learned from Mary how the seemingly impossible can be possible. God is showing us in our text, I believe, that as he initiates the impossible, he gives us the grace for the impossible. And he understands our questions about the impossible. And then he does the impossible when we respond in faith. Notice first in verse 26 that God initiates the impossible. This is so critical and so important to know. And I will only simply say as a side note, without further discussion or any further commentary, that we are not a name it, claim it, prosperity, God heals you all the time on demand when you want kind of people. We don't see that in the Bible. And you know what? God can do that. We believe he does that. But we're not that brand of Christianity. Can I just be clear about that? For those of you who are here, you can say amen to that because there's a lot of issues, there's problems with that. I'm sorry. I believe in the word of God and it says what it says. I believe God heals. I just don't believe he heals that way. That's a whole other discussion. All right. But God does. He, and this is one of the points is that God initiates that. We don't initiate that. Don't tell me your faith initiates healing. That's not biblical. God, you have to have faith that God gives you in the first place. He initiates with the faith he might give you, but you don't initiate healing. Don't even go there. I'll argue with you until I'm blue in the face, and I'll be right. Because the word is right. (laughs) The word is right. The word is right. God does heal, just to be clear. God sent his angel. Mary didn't have this idea. Oh, I I, want to be like carrying the son of God and the son of man. I want to get pregnant while I'm not even married yet. This is, I mean, this is absurd. It's impossible, right? Even culturally and every other way, there's no way. And then the angel comes to God in verse 26. Mary did not initiate this impossibility. God did. I want to be clear. Man did not initiate this pregnancy. God spoke that it would be even when it seemed impossible, and he did it. He initiated it. He started the ball rolling, if you will. It was all God. It wasn't people. Oh, God used people, but it was God who initiated. You know, what about the idea of God's salvation? Just to fast forward quickly about talking about impossibilities. The idea that men could be reconciled to God and and bring salvation to themselves was impossible. And Mary is part of this story of this impossibility of being pregnant as a virgin and conceiving by the Holy Spirit and then bringing forth the Son of God, a man who'd be the Savior of the world. We cannot save ourselves. Mary cannot save us or herself. God has to through his son, Jesus. The Jews could not produce the Messiah on their own. God started that process a long time ago with Abraham when he chose him and then through all those after him, right? Joseph, going back to Joseph too, and on. There's There's a line there. God had a plan. 
In the Garden of Eden, we know that man first sinned, the Bible tells us, and, and God cursed the serpent. And way back then, he said something, even in the curse, he promised that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. That was a prophetic word. That Satan would be destroyed. All his works would be destroyed. That there would be salvation that came to men. That redemption would come. And while we were still sinners, if we fast forward, Paul even says, and I love this verse, that even while we were sinners, all along, because we always were, that Christ died for us in Romans chapter 5, 8. God had a plan he initiated from before the foundations of the world. Notice that God initiates the impossible. Let me... I'm going to just give you a warning here that I feel I have to give you. And I'm going to let the Holy Spirit do whatever he's got to do, because some of you might need this warning. But I just want to throw something out there to keep us in check, to understand how awesome God is and, and we aren't. Be aware that when we initiate the impossible, it may be that we are simply testing God. I'm going to say that again. Be aware that when we initiate the impossible, it may be that we are simply testing God. Hmm. It might just be you. Something comes into your imagination. I'm not saying God can't do that. I'm, don't misunderstand me. And we run with everything. And, we, and it's crazy, impossible, absurd things. And we run with it. And we do all kinds of stuff. And we, we even wreak havoc because of it. And we're trusting God and we're telling God what he's got to do. And we want God to do it and we're professing it and we're saying it and running around. But if God didn't initiate that and if it's not consistent with his word and his plan, I don't know God's perfect plan for you as an individual, so I I give room for that. Better be careful. Don't test God. Because we do things. And then we say, God's going to do the impossible. And while we say that, we had this vision of what it is. And then we take action to help God. Why? Because we initiated the impossibility. And now it needs our help and God isn't even there. Even in our impossible situations today, Christmas reminds us that God has already initiated initiated to make your impossible, first your salvation and many other things, possible. He has sent his son and along with him, he graciously gives us all things. Amen? God initiates the impossible, and he did so with Mary. The angel came. Secondly, remember that God gives grace for the impossible. If God initiates the impossible, and if it's his idea to do something that is absolutely impossible, maybe in the natural realm, even in the human realm, or with all of us and all our, all our abilities, God is going to give you the grace for that impossible thing. Look at verse 28 and verse 30, what, what, what the angel says. Verse 28 says, And in coming in, he said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. God gives you his grace, his favor. I, I don't know why he chose Mary and not Lucy. I, I don't know. But that's, what he, that's who he chose. He had a plan. He knew all along. And it's his favor, his grace. You don't deserve it. You don't earn it. That's what grace is. You just get it. And God doesn't have favorites, by the way. I'll get, touch on that in just a second. But he doesn't. And in verse 30, he says, And the angel said, Do not be afraid. Mary, for you have found favor with the Lord. How did she find favor with the Lord? Well, it's certainly not something that she did or that that she possessed or could give to God. It wasn't that. Mary is highly favored and she's this ordinary teenage girl and she's not possibly not highly educated. We don't know rich. We can't assume, but 
Just a plain old girl. And God bestows his favor upon her. Now, how many of you have been involved in offices or in your workplace? You have, and there's employees and coworkers. How many of you, or maybe even in school, you know, teachers, pets, you know what those are? They happen in the workplace, too. There are all these pets. And, and, and boy, you got to love it, right? <laughs> now you hate it, right? And they always get the favor. And somehow they're always like the ones that are like special in the boss's eyes or the upper management or whatever. And, but how do you become a pet? How do you become a pet? You know what? First of all, it's, it's based on your performance. You, you, you do what I ask when and how I want it done. And that's, that becomes your performance. And man, you do everything I want. When I want, I like you. Because that, and then that leads to the I like you because I like your personality. You're very willing. You're very submissive. You'll do whatever you have. And it might not be perfect, but it's good enough that you'll bend to me with whatever I want. And so your personality, you get the performance. You do whatever I want when I want. And then your personality is perfect. You'll just cower and go down and, yes, I'll do it. And, and you get a little bone here and there, so to speak. You get a little fringe benefit. Maybe not yelled at like everybody else in your department. I don't know. I'm not trying to make you mad at people at the workplace. I'm just saying. Uh, pets. Okay? But that leads to the conclusion is the reason people are pets is because they play their superior's game. They play the game. They know how to do it. Let me just tell you something about pets. God doesn't have any. He doesn't have any people that he favors over another. He doesn't have favorites. He doesn't have pets so that we can all enjoy his grace. And that's what Christmas and this story shows us. He chooses a teenage girl, not accomplished. And it's not even a a girl who rubbed God the right way like pets do to their bosses and superiors. In fact, we can't rub God the right way because everything we do rubs him the wrong way. Does. He doesn't operate that way. Thank God he doesn't operate that way. God chose you, if you're a Christian, God chose you because of his grace and his will. Period. That's it. I I can't explain why, how. I mean, it's because he's God. He knows, and I don't. And that's what grace is all about. Why did he choose Moses? I mean, of all the people, why did he choose choose Moses? Why did he choose fearful Gideon? Hiding in the wine press, and then God wants to raise him up with an army of 300 to be victorious. The young shepherd David, why did God choose him? Why didn't he choose another brother? Why didn't he choose 20 years later somebody else? What about the coward Peter? I'll call him the coward, but what about Peter? What about you? What about me? I'm not good. God is. I stink. God is awesome. I mean, and yet he chooses me. He loves me. It's all because God gives grace for impossible things including salvation. And it's because God does the impossible. You see, when he gives grace, he thoroughly does, just does the impossible. Why does he do the impossible? Look at verse 34. Mary, after with this visit, is freaking out, and she says, how in the world can this possibly happen? Can I read you just the answer right here in our scripture? The angel answered her in verse 35 and said to her, what are the first three words? The Holy Spirit, not you, not your doctor, not your whatever, whatever you, your psychologist, your family, your friends, your teacher. The Holy Spirit is the answer. 
That's why God does the impossible. And how? How is this going to happen? It's impossible. The answer is right there. The Holy Spirit. What? He's going to come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child will be called the Son of God. It wasn't her doing, it was God's doing, so he's God's son. As much as he's a man in the line of David. Amazing that in this case, how God moves so powerfully to give her grace and does the impossible because he just can't help himself because that's who he is. That's who God is. That's a simple answer. The Holy Spirit does it and he does things like that all the time. Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 17 and 27. Jeremiah records this. Ah, Lord God, behold, you've made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. And then verse 27, he says, the Lord says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. And he asks a rhetorical question. Is anything too difficult for me? Right after Jeremiah documents this and says that there's nothing impossible for God. You've made, you, you made everything there with your outstretched arms and there's nothing too difficult for you. And the Lord says, I'm the God of all flesh. I'm the Lord. Is anything too difficult for me? Now, why is he saying this? Because Jeremiah, who's bringing forth God's word and he knows what's happening and God's people are in a seemingly impossible situation. They will be going into captivity. They are turning their backs on God. There is devastation and problems and issues and stuff going on within the nation. They're in trouble. And Jeremiah sees that and still he says, God, there's nothing impossible for you. If he just looked around and was like, oh man, we're dead. We're dead in the water. Can't be done. This is un- it's impossible. He says, you're the God who can do anything. And God says, anything too difficult for me? I see. I got a plan. I know what's going on. I see the situation. God, just do the impossible and I'll do it in my time and it's going to happen. It's coming. Think about it. To conceive a child without any involvement of a man is always and always will be impossible. All right. I'm... In our culture, in our day, I mean, really, that, I know I don't want to make light of this, but I do. I'm going to read that again, and then you can say amen really loud. Okay. <laughs> Hold on. To conceive a child without any involvement of a man is and always will be impossible. Amen. That's how God made it. Yet God is the God of the impossible. In this one instance, biblically, here we have, he is the one who invented the laws of nature. He can circumvent them if he chooses, and he has done that historically many times. If conceiving apart from a man was impossible enough, this child would not only be human, but he would be God, the Son of the Most High. And Most High is an Old Testament name of God. The child would be the long-awaited descendant of David, the Messiah, whose kingdom would last forever, the angel says. And Gabriel told Mary that not only would God do the impossible, but he would go beyond the impossible to do what she could have never have dreamed of. You know what I think of when I just said that? I think of that song, Mary, Did You Know? (laughs) Who would ever thought... And then to see him on the cross after all that he did, that the Savior, she's carrying us, and then to witness what he did, and that God did the impossible through her offspring, uh, unbelievable. How is this going to happen? 
the Holy Spirit. Not you, not anybody else. It's going to be God. Do you remember there's a scripture in Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 16, and many of us like to quote it and remind ourselves, I remind myself, where, again, the prophet is speaking, and there's, there's, there's this coming, there's captivity going on, and then, you know, God knew there's going to be um, just troubles and how things would be overcome. And, and, and the prophet Zechariah says, he says in chapter 4, verse 6, that it's not by might or by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. Not anything you can do. The, the whole idea of, of God taking them through captivity and keeping them as a nation, God initiated that. God's going to follow through on that. Not people. Yes, he uses, but not people are initiating that. The Holy Spirit would do what was impossible with man. You may be asking in your life right now, how is it going to happen, man? Mary asked that same question. How will I be healed? When will I be healed? How will I be cleansed from my sin? I've done so much. I'm, I'm such a sinner. God can't even look at me. He doesn't want anything to do with me. How, how can I be saved? How will my problem be solved? And you fill in the blank with whatever that is right now in your situation that seems so impossible, and it is impossible, on your own. I don't know how God's going to do that except that it's by His power. But I do know why God wants to do the impossible. And I'll tell you this. So that we and others recognize that God is at work and not us. I'm going to say that again. Because if God initiates the impossible, He's going to do it. He's going to make it happen so that people see it's Him at work and not us. We didn't initiate. We can't do it anyway. God wants the glory. He will get the glory. And when that's our goal and that's our aim, boy, God, God, He gets ready to go to do the impossible as well. Mary lived in a time... And Pastor Mike preached last week a little bit. He was sharing about this, you know, when God was silent. All the, God wasn't speaking for over 400 years. Almost 500. It depends who a scholar you believe. But for a long time. He was not, no prophecies, no word was coming. You've got to hang on to what the word, the, the, the God already gave. And they're hanging on. And God, and then this angel walks in and starts talking to Mary. After all those years. And listen, God chooses to speak to Elizabeth first about John the Baptist and does a miracle. And then he comes to Mary and speaks to her. After all those years, this is how God breaks his silence. Prophesying about doing the impossible so his plan of salvation can unfold and be fulfilled. Angels showing up was not the norm. So Mary wanted an explanation. How is this going to happen? And when she says by the Holy Spirit, in verse 36, God also does something that we learn, and it's that God builds faith for the impossible. It doesn't give us grace, but he gives us faith. God, God gives Mary a sign, and he reassures her. The angel reminds that Elizabeth was barren, and she was past childbearing age, and she was pregnant. Mary had to believe the impossible. Now, if she asked Elizabeth... She can give verification. And she did. She knew that. But she believed the impossible. If God did it with her, he can do it with me. And God helps Mary, Mary's faith to rise. And so when God gives you grace, he gives you the faith. And he gives you signs, if I can call them, to help you in confirmations to say, you know what? You can keep believing and trusting in me. I will do the impossible. Amen. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. Amen. In Mark chapter 9, there's a story about Jesus and a man whose son was, well, he had issues. I'll leave it at that. And he wanted help. 
And he's talking to Jesus, and he says in verse 22, From childhood, he answers, it has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And I love Jesus' answer. Jesus says, if I can? If I can? And Jesus says, everything is possible for him who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me to overcome my unbelief. Now, what does that mean? Oh, I believe, Lord, but help my unbelief. We've heard that expression. What does that mean? Can I just give simplest terms? And this is what it means. Our faith isn't perfect. And we need help with it. Plain and simple. I'm not going to get all, but that's what it means. And you know what? It's okay to ask God. Because God wants to do the impossible. And so when God presents the impossible, like, oh, you know, I, I, you really feel, and God speaks to you, and you have confirmation, and you're believing that the word of God doesn't come back void, and the gospel goes forth, and you preach the gospel to your loved one, and they haven't come to salvation, and you're believing that, and you're trusting God, and are you going to do that? Or are you going to say, well, if you want to, God, if you want to save them? Because I don't really know. Well, we don't. But God wants to save people. So why can't it be your loved one? And why can't you believe it? God gives you the faith for that. And you say, man, all these years, and I keep seeing this stuff going on. I, I believe, but Lord, I don't, so help my unbelief. God will help you. There's a lesson there for us. That nothing is impossible with God, and God strengthens our faith. Let me just go quickly to the last thing I just want to share in verse 38. God does the impossible as we respond. What was, this, what was the response that Mary had in verse 38? In verse 38, Mary says this, after all this is going on and she hears these last words from the angel, for nothing will be impossible with God. Now, in another translation, it says, in the NIV, it actually says, may it be according to your word. I'm pretty much that's what it says, right? Now, you might say, now that sounds different, and it does, and if we take it, we can run with it, and it can mean different things. But do you know that in the context, it really means the same thing? Because the context is about the word of God coming, God initiating, and God will do it. Because when God says it's going to happen, it's a possibility. And so that word will come to pass every time, every single time. Enough on that. We could talk more about that. But again, there, there sounds different, but there's actually, in the context, there's a, there's, a, there's a similarity there that we can take and understand that when God says it, his word always comes to pass. It's not impossible. So nothing is impossible for God. And, and we, we go into this, this, this response here. And how does she respond? Let it be according to your word. I am your servant. Whatever you said, let it be. I will not argue with God. I submit. Be it done according to your word. When's the last time you said that? You know, Jesus got to that point as the faithful servant of God. And he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he got to that point, what seemed impossible and yet he was the God-man. And he said, I want this cup to go away. Nevertheless, your will be done, not mine. Not my will, but your be done. Let that be done. Whatever you want done, let it be according to your will, to your word, if you will. Whatever you want. And then he went and he kept praying. And the angels came and ministered to him. And he fulfilled. He did it. It was not impossible. Because God came to his aid. And God did the impossible. Amen. Praise God. And we say, a lot of times, I can't. It's impossible. I don't know if I can do that. Can't you say it? Those are deadly words. Those are deadly words, man. How many times do we hear ourselves saying, I can't, or it's impossible? 
When we're faced with a decision where the spiritual challenges the physical. It's impossible. God, it's impossible for me to live in this relationship because then you fill in whatever you got to fill in. God, it's impossible. I just can't surrender my life to you and, my, and, and to give it over to Jesus because, and, and, and you fill in the blank because you know what goes in the blank. I can't give up my friends for you and for the sake of righteousness, even though I know a lot of them are involved in things that, should, that are so antithetical to the gospel. I, 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 I can't do that. I can't put the Lord first in everything because, well, I just want to do things my way. I can't go into all the world and share the gospel and the love of Christ in any way that I can because I'm afraid that someone will not like me if I ask them about their relationship with Jesus and if they believe he even exists. I can't. It's impossible. No way. I can't get involved in the ministries, at the church, and use my gifts and skills to glorify God and build others up because there aren't any that are usable when I'm available. I can't come to rehearsal every Wednesday. I mean, that's my night to sit back and whatever. Watch the Celtics. Sorry, Jeff. Um, His head went right down because he knows. That's the Holy Spirit right there. All right. (laughs) Think about the greatest impossibility, and we are wrapping up. Think about the greatest impossibility that sinful men could come to God. That's truly impossible. Without God initiating, without God giving grace, without God doing it, without God granting the faith for reconciliation to heaven and providing the solution. So that we could respond, it's impossible. Unless God changes someone's heart, they will never come to God, for we are born in sin. We're to enmity with God. We're hostile to Him. We have no interest in God. We have no taste for Him. We have no desire for Him. We are born loving darkness. We love sin. We hate the light. No one is good. No one seeks for God. These are all kinds, these are scriptures I'm throwing in, right? All have turned aside and they become worthless. It is impossible for us in our natural state to come to God. You can initiate all you want. And how that ended up was that the sacrifices were insufficient and there were hundreds and hundreds of laws because that's what seemed to work in the natural order of things in the Old Testament until Jesus came. Not only is it impossible on our end, it's impossible on God's end for sinners to come to him unless, of course, something happens. For he is holy, infinitely holy, and he will not tolerate sin in his presence. No one can stand in the presence of God, the all-consuming fire, unless they're sinless and perfectly righteous. No one. No one. He is high. He's lifted up and he dwells in the holy of holies. There is no, where no, not even, no one that's stained by sin can possibly enter in. But nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. He changes the hearts of those who despise him. He gives saving faith to those who don't believe in him. He causes those who love sin to hunger and thirst for righteousness. He makes the proud humble. He washes filthy sinners clean and clothes them with the righteousness of Christ. 
He makes those who disdain Him long for Him with a pure and holy passion. That is a miracle. That is God doing the impossible. Because no matter how hard you try, you can never truly change someone's heart. Luke chapter 18, Jesus talked about salvation and the wealthy, how hard it is to be saved. He just made a picture and he said, it's like a camel going through the the eye of of a needle. He says, it's impossible. And then those who heard asked Jesus in chapter 18 of Luke and they said, who can be saved? I mean, it's already hard enough. It's this impossibility of reconciliation with God. But then really, Jesus, then who can be saved? And Jesus replied, what is impossible with men? You can help me finish it. It's possible with God. What's impossible with men is possible with God. Are you facing an impossible situation now? Today, I know, listen, it's Christmas time and it's the season. And, but there, we've, we're living life and life has stuff. Are you facing an impossible situation? Do you look at it and see no earthly way that it could change? Maybe you look at a family member, as I mentioned earlier, who seems to have no interest in God at all. And it seems like he or she is just way too far gone to ever come to know Jesus in a saving way. Amen. Nothing will be impossible with God. Maybe you can see no way for God to provide financially for you. I'll move to that realm. Remember, and I remind you, that Jesus fed crowds of thousands of people with fish and loaves of bread. He spoke to storms and he calmed the winds and the waves. When he needed money, this this, this story cracks me up, it kills me. When he needed money to pay the temple tax, He told Peter to go fishing and he'd catch a fish with a coin in its mouth. Well, the probabilities are one in six quadrillion that somebody dropped a coin a hundred years ago in the Roman Empire and the fish went down there and got it and brought... It's impossible, okay? God did it. God provided what was necessary. Jesus knew. He made it happen. He planted that coin in that fish's mouth. And he will plant everything you need wherever that source is. He'll provide it for you. You just got to ask him. You got to believe. And if he gives you faith for that, it's going to happen. Just make sure you're doing his will along the way. Because if you're not, you you might be in trouble. You have to work that out first. Nothing will be possible with God. Impossible with God. Maybe you feel like you can't break out of sin that you're ensnared with or in. You've tried to quit and you can't because you know what? You can't. You can't on your own. Not going to happen. Nothing will be impossible with God, I tell you. Whatever you're praying for, unless God has made it absolutely clear that the answer is no, Then keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking. Yes, God is sovereign. He takes us through afflictions and difficulties and he promises to work them all out for our good, right? We believe that. We hang on to that. And sometimes he doesn't answer in the way that we would like, but don't quit asking unless he has absolutely told you no. He's the God of the impossible. What is the impossible situation you're facing? What gigantic, if I could say, enemy or foe stands before you? What barrier is there that you're facing that appears that is most impossible for you? 
If you are a child of God, I remind you to hear the words of the angel to Mary. With God, nothing will be impossible. Maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you don't understand God as the God of the impossible. Can I just ask you, and maybe you feel like I can never be connected to God. Can I just tell you right now that God has made the impossible possible through Jesus, his son, who was born 2,000 years ago in a manger, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose again. And if you profess your faith in him and believe that your sins are washed away, he makes the impossible possible and you become a child and a friend of God. Do that today. Don't wait. And whatever your situation is, call out to God. I want to ask the praise team to come. I'm looking to see if, and we're going to sing that last song one more time as we're walking out. God of the impossible. What is that impossible situation you're facing? What is it? Be honest. And as we sing this song, make it a a, a shout of proclamation, a faith statement that he's the God of the impossible. You're going to make it. God's going to be glorified. And it's for your good and for God's glory all the time. Amen. Let's sing this song together and I'll come back and we'll close in prayer.